Hey, toy family! Welcome to another edition of the Marsham Toy Hour, where we discuss anything and everything designer toys. I'm Gary Ham, and I'm Teresa Hawkins. And we have a guest joining us today. And Teresa, you actually kind of hand selected this one, didn't you? I did. It's someone that uh, I think is a super fantastic person and makes super cute things. So yeah, this should be fun. <laughs> super cute. And, uh, you know, it's going to be fun. It's going to be a lot of fun. And so let's just give her a proper intro. So today's guest, she's a self-taught sculptor. And she's actually got a really great story, like a great rags to riches story. And by that I mean she, you know, for many years she worked the corporate job, the full-time job that she didn't particularly enjoy. But it was like the responsible thing she, you know, to do is what she went to school for. But um, she's extremely highly creative. So, you know, doing that job just wasn't working out for her. So in her free time, she would, you know, practice um, sculpting in clay, these cute little whimsical characters out of polymer clay. And she would post them to her Instagram account. Well, through a little luck and just the right people stumbling across her account and, or discovering her hashtags at just the right time, she, uh, she sort of blew up. And through reshare, she was discovered. And then she was highlighted on the very popular website BuzzFeed. And it seemed like almost overnight, she received over 150 commission requests for filling her inbox. And so the very next day, she quit that drab day job and has been working full-time for herself ever since. So let's welcome... Simon Says Macy, a.k.a. Macy McKinney, to the show. Welcome, Macy. Hi, thanks for having me. That was a great intro. Did you really quit the day after you received all those emails? It was very, very close. Um, I, it's, it was probably like the end of that same week. It wasn't literally the day after I had to uh, consult my, uh, my, my finance guy, who was my father, to see if it was actually like a sound thing for me to do. And he said, yeah, yeah, you know, you could actually make a living doing this. So, yeah, it was a few days later that I quit my job, and it happened very, very quickly. It was pretty amazing. Yeah, I mean, your, your previous job for several years was graphic design, right? Yeah. And then I don't think many other people in your position would have jumped so quickly at the opportunity. I know a lot of people would be extremely apprehensive and stricken with fear at the thought of leaving the comfortable day job, but you did it. And that's I really got to commend you for really pursuing your dreams. Yeah, well, you know, I, I never really actually wanted to be a graphic designer. I'd always really liked working with my hands and, and doing different kinds of fine art. But my parents, being the logical people that they were, said, hey, why not graphic design while you sort of find your footing so you can put you know, meals on your table and you can pay your rent. And then once you find what you're supposed to really be doing, then quit and do that. So I was, I've was i never been a computer person. Graphic design was never my passion. And so once I realized that I could actually make a living making art that I was passionate about and I could use my hands, it was, it was a no-brainer for me. Yeah, and I like that you talked to your dad first before making the move. You know, parents always appreciate that sort of thing. But what you should probably mention what I mentioned in the intro is actually that you uh, sort of blew up just from social media, and I, but I didn't cover what it was that kind of may really sparked it. You want to go tell our listeners kind of how all that started? Sure, sure, okay. So what happened was I, I just started sculpting. I picked up clay. I just felt the need to use my hands and picked up some polymer clay and uh, made a couple things, and I share them on social media just because I've been someone who's posted on social media. Not, I wasn't trying to like gain traction or anything like that, but put some hashtags on it. And one of the things that I made was Louise from Bob's Burgers. And I made her into a snail. And Bento Box Entertainment, who makes Bob's Burgers, found it and reposted that on all their social media. And so it was really them that kind of, you know, blew me up in the beginning. And then BuzzFeed found that and wanted to do an interview. And uh, I did that. And it was, yeah, it was overnight success. It was strange. I was actually sculpting one night. 
And my phone just kept buzzing and buzzing and buzzing and buzzing and buzzing. I was like, what is going on? What is this? This is crazy. And my Instagram was just going off and my email is just going off. And yeah, it was, it was overnight. I mean, just as soon as that BuzzFeed article came out, like I couldn't even keep up with the emails. That's awesome. And what were most of the commissions like? Were they mostly asking for Bob's burger stuff or were they, you know, many of them asking for like original requests? Yeah, it was original request. I mean, I don't think that I sold a set of Bob's Burger snails for months after that. Wow. I mean, it was people who someone wanted their pet or an inside joke they had. I mean, the BuzzFeed article that they did on me, I would sculpted a couple other things uh, besides the Louise snail. And so people saw my little monsters or my little animals or whatever. And they asked like, oh, have you ever made an iguana or have you ever made a pug? You know, <laughs> so everyone had different requests. And so I thought, well, okay. I, I've only been sculpting for a month and a half, but I think I could probably make that. So I was literally teaching myself to sculpt while I was, you know, making commissions for people. So it was a little stressful because I really wasn't a sculptor yet, but I pulled yep. it off, I guess. <laughs> well, you had them full, huh? Yeah, I guess so. <laughs> it's worked out so far. <laughs> awesome. Teresa, when did you discover her? Did you discover her during that early period? No. I, and honestly, I was trying to remember... Uh, I need to go dig back through my Instagram feed and see when I posted my first tiny store pickup. But I think, if I recall, the way I found out about you, Macy, was through Leanna Lynn's Wonderland, which is oh. a... Uh, yeah, and so for those that don't know, Leanna Lynn's is a, kind of a cute little shop near Pasadena. And so I'm actually hoping to go uh, meet her and check out her shop if I can get to Decon this year. But I think it was your your tiny stores. So she makes these cute little... Uh, miniature dinosaur figures out of clay and as I've said before the smaller it is the cuter it is <laughs> I can't resist so yeah. Teresa, Teresa loves the small stuff so Macy what I think is interesting that is you actually started out or you kind of blew up from fan art I know a lot of artists will give other artists black eyes for not doing or, or following their original art and you know they don't like it when other artists work off of IPs if they don't have the license but I think in many cases that's okay like you probably you would have gotten noticed but I think you got noticed faster through the the through the fan art like that's kind of what blew you up and mm -hmm. now people took notice of your original art and then there you go yeah, that's the interesting thing. Like I try, I try not to sell too many licensed characters um, just because I really, you know, I like making my own stuff anyway, because there's a certain, there's a certain strange feeling that comes from, you know, getting, getting paid and, and getting notoriety off of someone else's characters that you're just doing fan art from. So like, I want right. my own original ideas to be what I'm known for. But Man, if you don't get so many likes and so many hits from from licensed characters, I mean, people just look for those things because they already have an emotional attachment to them. And so, you know, when you hashtag like Bob's Burgers, like Linda Belcher, Bob Belcher, like people find you that way. So, you know, making fan art, not necessarily selling it could be a really good way to get noticed. And that's absolutely what happened to me, which is, you know, the only experience that I can speak for. Yeah, definitely. And I think that's really cool. I mean, you see it all the time, especially conventions now, all the fan art and all the stuff going on. I think what really people that are doing that are really just hoping for, hey, I'm a big fan of this license and here's something that I thought was fun for this and hoping they're representing that license or the IP the best way possible. Um, but on the side, they're hoping that people take notice of their other artwork. And uh, I, you know, I have no problem people making a dime on other IPs so long as it's not like hurting the IP or they're making a huge living only solely doing pop culture art that they're not licensing. But, you know, it's a great way to get noticed. Absolutely. And, you know, if the, the artist has a certain connection to, you know, the, the 
licensed characters that they're making. Like I loved Bob's Burgers. Like I wasn't, I mean, that was before I ever sold anything. So I was making that just cause I loved them and I thought, Oh, let's make them snails. This is a weird idea. I like that, you know? Yeah. Um, so it just, you know, if you can tell that the artist has a passion behind what they're doing and they really, really love that particular cartoon or character or whatever, I think that's a little bit different. Um, but yeah, I don't have a problem with it either. I think it's a, uh, you know, my own little artist ego that wants to be known more for my original things and my fan art. <laughs> yeah, definitely. And with the fan art too, like, the uh, the fans could do more stuff with the the license than than what the licenses would actually probably allow, which is yeah I think, pretty unique. Like you, like you turned them into the turtles. Like I don't know that maybe snails snails. Oh, I'm sorry, snails. And I don't know that maybe <laughs> the license very... would never let that happen. I know. Yeah. I'm sorry, turtles, snails, same thing, right? <laughs> no, no, they're both shelled. <laughs> they both carry their shell on their back. They're home on their back. Yeah, but no, it's a good point. I mean. It's a liberty that they probably wouldn't have necessarily allowed, but it's a really cool spin on it. And that's what I think is always fun about fan art in some regards is that there are people out there who can take a concept and do it very interestingly or convert it in a way you may not have thought. Or even like weird mashups. Like I think it's fun to see like, I don't know, people mash up like Baymatch and Stitch or like stuff out there that and they come up with something that probably never would have ever, I would have ever thought of, but it's cool to see. So I'm a fan of fan art. In certain cases. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's one of those things. There's so much great fan art out, out there, and then something that maybe whoever the IP holder was or whatever, they might not mass produce whatever that fan art uh, was, you know, in quantities of 10,000 pieces. But if the artist was then to take it and then make a run of, say, 30 pieces and make 30 super fans of that show really happy, I don't think a licensor is going to have much problem with that. It's, it's the really bad stuff. Like those Calvin and Hobbes vinyl stickers where you see Calvin peeing on something. That's absolutely something that Bill Watterson would not want out there, you know? But I think there's good fan out out there that the IP holder is going to want out there. It's really going to help market them. And I know someone listening is like, no, Gary, that's illegal. They're not allowed to do it. But I think in some cases there are instances where the fan art being sold or not is going to be helping that IP. Yeah. And you know, like Bento Box is really cool. I mean, they were the first people that contacted me and wanted to buy a set of the snails. So like they really love their fan art. There's particular companies that, that really actually encourage people to do that fan art, which I think is really neat. And Bento Box is one of those. And they actually, they invited me to come in for a table read and I got to meet all the voice actors and everyone from the studios. Oh, and awesome. They, they love, they love people who make fan art. It's, and it's a really just warm, Bento Box is a really warm company. I, I really appreciated meeting them. That's awesome. Cool. When was that? 2014? Oh, don't ask me years. I'm so bad with years. <laughs> it was about three years ago. Yes, <laughs> that, it really hasn't been that long. It's been, yeah, a, it's, it's been like two and a half, three years now. Okay. I didn't think it had been too long. I was looking back and I found it looks like the first uh, tiny store I bought from you was February 2015. So not right away, but couple years ago so yeah yeah close close i wasn't that wasn't too long after that's neat how is uh working for yourself treating you oh oh that's a question <laughs> <laughs> this is the first time you've actually done it right since 2014 you hadn't yeah. done it previously no uh -uh. i'd always had a corporate job <laughs> right so that's interesting so I, I know a lot of people that enter enter freelance life and then they're like man this is not as fun as i thought it was going to be like they just went into it thinking that they're going to full time just to sketch and art and do exactly what they do but it's not the case you have to do marketing and find your next job and do accounting there's a, there's a lot of business stuff that goes with being 
a freelancer that I think a lot of people don't initially look at. And so how, how has that been for you? How's that transition been? That, that is absolutely true. Um, you know, when I first had dreams of quitting my job, the, the dreams in the three days that came between me being a graphic designer and a sculptor full time, you know, I thought, Oh, I'm just gonna sit at home and make art, you know, be just like, flowy dress wearing hippie who just sculpts all day it's like so so <laughs> yeah. not the case like <laughs> some days I don't sculpt at all I mean yeah it's a lot of accounting and and email answering and marketing and things like that but um I have a really fantastic team behind me uh, my dad was an accountant and my brother is a professor of entrepreneurship so I oh, could yeah, not yeah, great have advice. <laughs> I could not have had a better team so all the you know all the nitty-gritty yucky stuff that perhaps uh, people who lean more right brain have a hard time with. Um, I have two lovely men in my life with that. <laughs> right. so do, they, do they help you with, I mean, it, it sounds like from like finance perspective, they might help, but like, do, does your family also help with like, you know, shipping and all that kind of stuff? Or are you kind of just like a one lady shop? You kind of do uh, it all? I'm a one lady shop. My whole family lives in Florida and I'm here. So I'm here in Arizona. So I, yeah, I do it all. I do it all. Uh, my dad helps me uh, balance my books and stuff. I, I do most of my accounting, but you know, he, he checks my work and helps me with taxes <laughs> and stuff like that. Uh, you know, the real, the real necessary stuff at the end of the month. Uh, but yeah, for the most part, it's, it's all me. Now, let me ask you this. I've heard a lot of people when they go off and work for their for themselves versus uh, the man doing the 40 hour work week. Have you found yourself working far more hours than you ever did for the uh, for the man? (laughs) Oh, yeah, definitely. Definitely. I mean, every hour that I'm awake, I'm working, whether I'm thinking about something or I'm sketching an idea or I'm taking something to the post office or I'm ordering clay or, you know, there's there's no difference between my personal time and my work time now. But and, and part of that, you know, I, I definitely have moments where I think back to, oh, yeah, I just had nine to five. Then I got off work and I had a happy hour and then I made some dinner and I watched a movie or went for a bike ride. And just like didn't have a care in the world. And mm-hmm. there's 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 a certain there's a certain peacefulness to not being at work and not having to think about any of that. I mean, you just really can really let go. And that just doesn't happen anymore. But um, the fact that I'm doing it all for myself and, you know, even though I am doing accounting and I'm running the post office and I'm doing inventory and stuff like that, the fact that it's to further my own creative ideas and my own creative career, it makes it worth it. I mean, it's, it's hard and it's real stressful, but it's so, so worth it. Um, there have been moments, you know, where I thought, oh, my God, am I cut out for this? Can I motivate myself? Like, it's, it's, it's been tough. It's not all just been a cakewalk, but uh, in the end, it's, it's really paid off. Sure. So I'm a lot happier now. Oh, it's great to hear. I'm glad it's really working out for you. Thanks. You know, polymer clay creations are, are, I feel like they kind of sit in a, a different kind of space. Like there's kind of a whole, I feel like community out there just about polymer clay, you know, like people who create miniatures and all sorts of stuff if you kind of dig out in the Instagram world. And so like to me, like it kind of fits a niche of designer toys, but it also fits a different world. And so I know you go to, you know, shows like Decon, but I think you also go to lots of other kind of arts and crafts type shows, right? Um, I've done a couple. I mean, Decon really is, is my jam. Um, I've done like some of the Jackalope arts things and I've done a couple of first Fridays here in Phoenix and I did one comic con, but designer con really is kind of where I fit in. It's funny that you mentioned polymer clay in particular, because I kind of feel like sometimes it's a medium that's not really taken very seriously. Like it's sort of a stepping stone to something else. Like, you know, people will make a prototype out of polymer clay and then cast it in resin or, you know, do something else with it. And so 
I feel like it's gaining more traction is something that like can be considered serious, but it's been sort of like an arts and craftsy thing for a long time. Um, And that's something that I've struggled with a little bit, but I think that it is starting to, to get, taken a little bit more seriously uh when you know i mean when i see other polymer clay artists there's people who are you know way better than me i'm like oh yeah that's that's really what it's meant for that's what it's that's what i should be like trying to do but yeah no i i mainly do designer con i do much better online than i do at some of those arts and craft shows um i think that at some of the arts and craft shows people don't necessarily want to pay the prices um that (laughs) you would need to to get paid for the amount of time uh, that it takes to sculpt something you know um versus something that's like cast resin or something like that or a piece of jewelry you know it's like it's a tchotchke that sits on your shelf and unless you're particularly looking for something like that which the people who come to designer con they know that they're paying for something handmade and they already appreciate that because they're there i think that a lot of people at arts and crafts places just don't really don't really get it as much (laughs) yeah i think i do an arts and crafts fair especially like a street fair someone sees something over twenty dollars they'll be like you see what she's charging for that? Jeez. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. So my little capsule machine where I sculpt like tiny little charms does really, really well there. And there are people, you know, they love my work. People just stand there and ogle and come back and come back to my booth. But the, trying to get people to pull the trigger is pretty hard. So I mainly sell online. But Designer Con, yeah, that's definitely my jam. Okay. <laughs> I was just curious. But well, it is really fun to like see people react in person. And so that's uh, that's one reason why I've like kept doing little things here and there is when you know I'm selling online, I don't get to see someone's face when they're when they're witnessing my art for the first time, which that's really really gratifying. So and being able to interact with people face to face is is great. And you know I've become a little bit of a hermit since I work for myself at home alone now. It's just me and my dog Tango. So sometimes doing those things gets me out and talking to people too. Yeah, yeah. definitely. And you know the designer toy uh, design. I'm sorry, I still tell you designer toy con, but it's it's designer con. And originally started out as the VTN, the Vinyl Toy Network. And you know ever since they changed it to designer con, it's just really blown up and just much more representational of just the independent artist as a whole. But well, without being arts and craftsy, you know what I mean. So I was kind of curious. Like, do you feel like you're part of the designer toy scene, or how aware are you of designer toys? Do you collect? Do you know what I'm getting at? Oh yeah, totally. Um. I collect some, uh, you know, I've gotten into the community, uh, kind of around the same time that I started sculpting myself. So, you know, at the time that I took a almost 50% pay cut to do what I loved, I started finding all these toys that I wanted to buy. So I collect as much as that I can. Um, I, uh, I don't, I don't feel like I'm completely part of the community yet. I want to do, uh, I want to sculpt a little bit more over some blanks and try to kind of go in that direction. Mm-hmm. Um, I'd like to try to start painting as well. I, um, have not done much painting. I have only done sculpting. I don't paint any of my sculptures. Um, so I want to try, I want to try doing those things. Um, I'm really interested in that and I really love it. Um, uh, yeah, I don't know that I've like fully immersed myself in the community yet, but I want to get there. I also want to try making my own blank, maybe of a tiny sore or something like that, that other people cool. can customize. Um, oh, you know what? There's a contest through Martian Toys called The Next Great Blank. What? I haven't seen that. <laughs> I will send you a link after the recording, but um, yeah, so Martian Toys is doing this Next Great Blank, and I think you have till October, but you submit it, and if they like it and they pick you, they produce it. So oh, I would love that. That sounds great. And you actually make money in it, too. Not only, yeah, you, get, you get royalties and all that good stuff. Holy smokes. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I would totally love to see some customs from you and like the toy world. I mean, it it's kind of would be, um, you know, sort of related, I think, to what the bots do where they kind yeah. of have 
potentially, you know, if you if you take a spin of polymer clay being sculpted uh, on top of the figures, or to your point, you know, trying something new with painting. Is that, do you feel like that's kind of the appeal of polymer clay a bit? Because, like, whenever I've tried a few customs, that's always the hardest part for me. I love the sculpt, but when it comes to picking the paint palette and applying the paint, that's the hardest part for me. So I could see a lot of appeal to having the colors already sort of built in. And as you sculpt, you're kind of painting, so to speak, while you build. Is, is that kind of part of the appeal for you? Yeah. So just in case we have listeners that aren't too familiar with polymer clay is, we should probably just describe it for them before they get lost. So polymer clay is it's essentially, uh, it's, it's like already, it's a pre-colored clay. You know, a lot of people will just work in sculpting and it's just pink or gray, but polymer clay comes in a wide variety of colors and, and such. So, well, I mean, maybe Macy can explain it better. You want to take over, Macy? Sure. Yeah. Polymer clay, you're right. It, it is available in a wide variety of colors and you can also take those colors and mix them and make your own custom colors. And Teresa, I really, really liked what you said about, um, it's almost like painting with clay. I never, I never put it in those words and I really, really like that. And it's very true. So yeah, when I sculpt with polymer clay, the clays are already colored either in like the standard colors that they come in or something that I've mixed. And so there's, there's no color addition afterwards. And so I have done a couple blanks. And so you are, you are literally building the entire character as you go colors and all you don't sculpt like in a beige, um, and then paint over it. So yeah, I, I would like to do some more of those things. Um, I've done a couple and it just seems like, it just seems like the amount of time it takes to do that. Um, like if I'm trying to sell something like, you know, I, at this point, you know, doing this full time as my career, you have to balance being able to sell an object that you're making and just doing it for the sake of art, which is a really, really hard thing to justify in my brain. So, you know, when I make a blank right now, the amount of time that it takes for me to sculpt over something like that, it's, I have a hard time selling it for that cost. Um, and the bots are a huge inspiration to me. I absolutely love them. Their sculpts are amazing. I love everything that they do. I'm completely obsessed. So yeah, that's a direction that I would like to move into. Um, I think that with time and, you know, doing more of them and not having to worry, you know, not necessarily worrying about like, oh, if I make this, I need to sell it. Like I could come into that realm, but, um, as of yet, you know, I have been uh, trying to make it as an independent artist for the last few years. And so generally the time that I spend sculpting right now, I'm, I'm thinking about like, how can I sell this also? It's, it's definitely, it's definitely two parts marketing, one part being an artist. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I imagine it's pretty tricky um, and pretty limiting only working with the uh, the colors that you're given in polymer clay. When you're all done, do you ever add paint over it? No, I never add paint. I mix all my own colors. I hardly use any of the colors just as they come. Okay, so you can mix and match the colors and create your own colors. Okay. Oh, I, yeah, yeah, yeah. You, you can also add pigments. You can add powdered pigments to the clay to make them sparkly or completely different colors. So you, 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 have, a, you have a pretty wide palette when it comes to polymer oh. clay. And polymer clay is similar to Sculpey, right, where it stays kind of soft as you're working it, and then you have to bake it to harden it. Yeah, actually, Sculpey is a brand of polymer clay. So polymer clay is the is the actual medium, and Sculpey is uh, the brand. So yeah, it um, it stays soft. It's a it's a plastic and oil based clay, so it stays soft until you bake it, which is awesome. So you know you don't have to worry about covering it or you know, wrapping a paper towel or a wet paper towel around it or whatever. Um, you can just keep on working until you're happy with it, and that's a really really fun part of the medium. Okay. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't know. I see some appeal. I might have to to give it a go just not have to worry about paint application and kind of just the colors are part of it but I could see also having to be like really careful to not get like 
a dog hair or an eyelash or a piece of dust <laughs> like stuck in that clay. Like, how do you, do you, I guess you, do you have like a specific area you work in or do you wear gloves or like, how do you get around keeping your clay clean? Oh, that is a huge, huge part of it, especially when you're working in lighter colors. I mean, you have to keep your workspace immaculate. And that's actually one of the most asked questions that I get from people who are just starting out and want to start learning polymer clays. How do you keep it so clean? Or how do you keep from you know putting fingerprints in your clay? Um, and yeah, you just wash your hands all the time. You wipe off your workspace all the time. You really scrape your hands with a paper towel and maybe some um, hand sanitizer between colors. Like if you're going from red to white, like if you work with red clay and then you just put your fingers in white clay, you're going to make pink clay. So you really have to be careful about cleaning your hands and cleaning your workspace and cleaning all of your tools in between that. And yeah, every time I sit down in my workspace, I wipe off my whole entire table, the glass, all the tools, everything, because, you know, there's a whole bunch of dust and I have a dog, dog hair flying through the air. I live in Arizona. There's dust everywhere, you know? So it's just a constant war trying to keep everything clean, especially when you're working in really light colors. Like your worst nightmare is something that people, something that someone wants in black and white. So it's like the, the two opposite ends of the spectrum. You have to work with black clay and then you have to go work with white clay and you have to work with black clay and you have to work with white clay. So you have to keep everything clean in between that. Oh, so you don't, you don't wear gloves or anything. You like to work. I mean, I would, I'd feel weird probably trying to work in gloves, but you you just work straight with your fingers and just have to wash a lot between. Yeah, yeah. I, I have never tried to work with gloves. I know some people do, but I need that. I need that like skin to clay tactile sensation to know what I'm doing. I mean, I, I guess I don't know. I've never tried wearing gloves, but it just the idea of it turns me off. So, <laughs> well, uh, serious silly K wears like I don't even want to say it. She called them finger condoms, <laughs> but they're like individual finger finger covers so like if you only wanted to cover say like one of your fingers or whatever you have to go check out her on her page I think she posted a picture of it <laughs> I love, she's awesome I love her work honestly like when I um when I started sculpting and started gaining a little bit of traction on Instagram and started searching for other people like me um because I wasn't even super aware of the community she was one of the first people that I saw and I instantly fell in love with her work and I was like oh wow this is neat like I can do something like that that's really really cool uh, I didn't know she used gloves. That's, that's an interesting little factoid. Yeah. But I think what you're talking about, how you, you kind of sort of feel that polymer clay doesn't have the maybe the respect that you like sort of feel that it should. It seems almost like an artsy craftsy or almost more hobby. But I think with people like yourself, uh, Beastlies and the bots and a lot more artists working at it more prominently today and getting more um, exposure, especially in the designer toy scene. They're doing shows and, and all that sort of stuff. I think that polymer clay is, is finally starting to be like re more recognized as a respectable medium. I totally agree. Yeah, I think it's moving in that direction, which I really like. And, you know, maybe maybe part of why I felt that way is because I did feel that way. It's, it's something that I played with when I was a lot younger, and a lot of people do play with it when they're younger. And I think that people kind of liken it to Play-Doh. And so yeah. I think that that's kind of like where that comes from. But once you get in the scene, you know, in the, in the toy and kind of like – uh, especially like the, the lowbrow kind of pop surrealist scene, like, you know, people do take it more seriously and it is moving in that direction, which I really appreciate because I adore it. I mean, I haven't tried other kinds of play. I, this is, I'm a very, very new sculptor. So this is just, you know, my kind of entry, entry medium, but I love it and want to keep working with it. And yeah, I think it's going in the right direction. Are you entirely self-taught or did you actually, once you started enjoying sculpting, did you take any lessons at maybe Scottsdale Community College or anything like that? No, I haven't taken any lessons, but I would like to. I would really, really like to. I mean, 
I do pretty well, like having taught myself. So I can, yeah. I, it, it excites me to think of what I might be able to do if I took some classes. So that is something that, um, once I am able to slow down my role a little bit, um, I, I want to, I want to do that. I would really, really love to do that. Cause I think I have a lot to learn. A lot of your stuff is really tiny when you're working as small as you do, like where the, the sculpt fits in the palm of your hand. Do you need to work with armatures and applying the polymer clay over like tinfoil base and all, all that sort of stuff first? Or do you just go right and the whole thing is entirely polymer clay? Um, yeah, I mean, even working pretty small, I mean, if it's like, you know, the size of my first digit of my thumb or something like I won't put tinfoil on that, but anything bigger than like the size of a quarter, I'll put tinfoil underneath. And of course, like, if there's a thin projection coming out, I'll put wire under that. So I've done I've done a little bit of armature work, and okay. that has all just been. I didn't even know what an armature was. Like I was doing that before <laughs> I even knew the word armature because I was like, oh wow, I made this little thin projection, and it it broke off in shipping because, like I said, like I was teaching myself how to sculpt while I was people were paying for it. So you know, I was learning all these things as I went. I'm like, oh, I guess I could put wire under that, and that would probably stay. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah. So I've, uh, you know, I've been uh, teaching myself how to make the wheel when I could have done a little research, but I just, you know, had, I was, I was just struggling to keep my head above water with all the orders that I was getting. So yeah, I, I, I do some, I do some armature work, but, um, mainly just tinfoil, especially cause a lot of the things that I make tend to be like really cute and chubby and round. So right. yeah, right. I'll, I'll generally start with a black tinfoil and then just kind of add to that. Okay. So wait, there's there's tinfoil in some of my larger tiny sores? Oh, in all of them there is. Yeah, it's got a metal oh, core. Wow. It's got a heart of stone. Teresa, you should try breaking one. See what's inside. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, now I, I'm just going to go kill this cute thing so I can see <laughs> inside. That's what I did when I was a kid. I used to break all my toys to see you know, what was inside the stretch Armstrong or something like that. I mean, it's cool because, like, it's still got good weight. It doesn't feel like a weird hollow thing inside of it. So, I mean, it's, I would never have known, right? I mean, it's not like it's kind of a hidden thing. The, the only thing I was going to ask that I'm just curious of is, like, choosing polymer clay, like, it just happened to be the thing that you were playing around with until you just stuck with it? Or was there, like, a conscious decision of, of why polymer clay was what you chose to kind of dabble in at the beginning? Well, I played with it when I was really young. Um, I had always been really into working with different mediums when I was a kid. My parents just got me all the art supplies that they possibly could because that's all I wanted to do. And so I remember working with polymer clay um, when I was young and, you know, a couple years ago. And I thought, oh, I want to I wanna do something with my hands. I want to sculpt. I was like, oh, I remember playing with Sculpey. I want to do that again. And so I picked that up and, yeah, I just went from there. It just took off. I have to also ask, when we talk about sculpting tiny things and armatures and all that, I just need to know. So, like, Gary, you may not have seen it, but Macy does the smallest of small. Like, the absurd, like, the smallest thing you can think <laughs> of. So, some of these things she does are these, like, globe rings. So, picture, like, a flat surface, and then she puts, like, a, a half-circle globe on top that would, like, you know, would be a glass globe that the sculpt can sit inside. Okay. But, like, she will sculpt a mini Totoro scene holding a leaf or, like, a duck sitting in a pond with lily pads. And it's, like, absurdly tiny. And so, <laughs> like, I can't imagine you're doing that with your fingers. Are you? <laughs> yeah, I just use my hands. I mean, I, I barely use any tools when I sculpt. It's all it's all my little tiny fingers. And I do have really tiny, tiny hands. Um, I've always been inclined to work really small. I, I love miniatures. Grandma, my aunt was collecting miniatures for me before I was even born. And so I've always really loved tiny things. It was kind of like bred into me, I guess. And I, yeah, I'm inclined to make everything very small. I actually kind of joke around that if I wasn't called Simon Says Macy, I'd call myself again, but smaller. 
<laughs> but did you say you're so, not using tools? No, I use really the tool that I use is um, like a ball tool. Like it's like a, a sphere to like make a cavity for the eyeball to go into. Yeah. But besides that, it's all my hands. Wow. wow. Okay. So, and sometimes okay. like a needle tool to make, put some texture on, but that's about it. Huh. So do you, okay, like Totoro, for example. I've watched, you know, some videos every now and again of, you know, Paul Marclay and people building little charms and stuff. And some people will create like the pieces separately and then kind of overlay them on top. Is that the approach you take where you're like doing individual little details and then applying them on like a base? Yeah. So like if I was making a Totoro, like you're saying, like I'll give him like a little tiny body that kind of looks like an egg and then I'll take a little flat, a little white piece and I'll flatten it out and then I'll apply that as like the white bit on his tummy and then I'll roll out a, t- a tiny, tiny, tiny little snake to make the kind of, oh, what would you even call those? They look like little, little upwards carrots, like to make the little texture in gray on his tummy and then I'll roll out tiny little snakes to make his ears. And yeah, I, it's, it's an additive, it's an additive uh, way of sculpting. I don't do anything subtractive. I never carve anything out with tools. I, I, it's a very additive, additive way to sculpt. It's so intriguing that, because I've always figured there had to be tools to execute that. I just, it's insane. I, yeah, I think a lot of people use tools. And, and when I watch videos too, like I'll see people applying these tiny little details with tools, but that just, it perplexes me. I can't do it with tools. I've tried, I'm like, oh, okay, that looks like maybe they're getting good results with that and I'll just end up squishing it. I just... I, I don't know. I have really sensitive fingers, I guess. Like, that's that's how I have to do it. So I guess when you're applying it, do you, like, you know, smooth it out with your finger so that it's not like a giant fingerprint, like, as you're applying it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's that's actually the, the second most asked question is how do you get them so smooth? And people ask, you know, do you sand them after you bake them? And um, when I first started sculpting and um, realized that it was going to be a career, I, I looked into it a little bit and tried to get a couple techniques from the pros and everyone said that you sand them after you after you bake them, but you're trying to you try to smooth them out as much as you can before you bake them, so you don't have to do as that much sanding. And me mm-hmm. with my crazy OCD brain, I'm like, well, I'm gonna make it completely smooth, so I never have to do any of that. Like I kind of take everything to the nth degree. And so yeah, I smooth them out with my thumb. And um, the advice that I give people when they ask me how to do that, and this sounds a little strange, but say imagine there's like a smudge of chocolate on a baby's cheek. You take your thumb and you wipe it hard enough that you're going to get that chocolate off, but soft enough that you're not going to hurt that baby. So you kind of wipe it with that sort of motion and that kind of that kind of strength, and that will smooth all the fingerprints out of your piece. So you don't use like terpenoid or rubbing alcohol or anything like that? Nothing. I have tried that, and it's a mess, and I hate it. <laughs> I may not be doing it right. I don't know. I, I, I'm not a no, pro. No, this is, this is interesting. <laughs> you're, you're doing it so differently than I've how I've always imagined it. Like you mentioned, you're, you're more additive than subtractive, and I know a lot of sculptors who just make a giant ball of clay and then just essentially carve. Uh, but you're, you're, you're adding, and that's, that's a different approach than you know, probably what I'm more used to. I tr- I've tried to do the subtract- subtractive stuff because, you know, when I when I started thinking about pouring resin and stuff, I think that the additive way creates a lot of little undercuts and some strange seams that, um, you know, resin won't, won't really pick up on well or it might grab the mold too hard. And so I've tried some sub- subtractive ways and that's actually a lot harder for me, which is why I think I should probably take some sculpting classes. <laughs> <laughs> But I mean, it it makes sense because like it's pretty common, I think, with polymer clay or at least just with smaller that kind of side of things. I feel like a lot of people are building up more than like creating a block and tearing it down because if you think of it again, you've got colors kind of yeah. as part of the clay. So you're sort of creating the piece as a whole versus taking a chunk, making a shape, and then you know coloring it up. So it makes sense. Yeah, no, totally, I get it. 
to me, like the first thing that I really did well was to draw and the way that they teach you to do that or the way that I was taught to do that is to break things down into shapes. So, you know, if you're drawing like the head of a horse, there's sort of like nose muzzle, which can start out as a small circle. And then there's kind of the large cheek that's a big circle. And then you kind of put a rectangle between it. And so that is, you know, from the untrained sculptor, that's how I started to sculpt is to break shapes or break animals or whatever you're making down into those shapes and you add them. Um, and then, you know, once you squish them on there, you kind of make them look like they're conjoined or it's all one part of the same larger creature. Um, but yeah, it's, it's not as intuitive to me to start with a block and start carving out the negative spaces, but it's, it's something that I'd like to do. So you sound like you have the same problem I do a little bit. It's uh, a lot of work for yourself. And the fact that I work in wood and because of that, every single arm, finger, head, body, every single piece has to be cut out. Yeah, I could cast that stuff, but then it's no longer wood. And I'm sure the casting and stuff can kind of pick up on some of the, you know, the texture of the wood and stuff like that. But then you have to faux paint it to make it look like wood. It sounds like it's kind of the same situation when you're working in colored polymer clay. The magic of it is the finished piece is the colored clay. There's no painting in it. And so if you ever want to do multiples, you would have to cast it and then hand paint it. So is it is it accurate in saying that every single thing that you do is 100% hand sculpted and every piece is original and unique? Yeah. Everything is completely handmade. Wow, you're yep. causing a lot of work for yourself. Why do you do that? <laughs> I know. Awesome. It's all I know. It's all I know. I mean, I, I, will, I will eventually get into <laughs> resin, but like, you know, I'm like, I'm building the plane as it's flying here. <laughs> you know, Gary, there's an appeal to that, you know, from a collector side of it being like, you know, the original piece versus the copy of it. You know, I, I think it's it's cool to know that it's, even though, she, you know, Macy's made a bunch of tiny sores or turtle burgers or rings or what have you, yours really is one of a kind because, it's, you know, it's never, ever going to be exactly like that one ever again. Yeah, I, to- I, t- I totally agree. But at the same time, her poor little fingers and her <laughs> eyes doing these tiny little things, give them a rest and, uh, you know, cast multiples and and maybe go that route not for all your releases but maybe for a few of the more popular designs well i mean that's gonna that's gonna happen here in the not so distant future with capocalypse where uh we're gonna start making some lines and having those mass produced so we're gonna reach a reach a different different corner of the market with some of my designs capocalypse <laughs> is there a special project you've been hinting at on your instagram the past couple weeks it sure is. Yeah, I've been um, I've been working with a business partner who actually I met at the first designer con. Uh, within I think yeah, the first year that I was sculpting, I met um, my partner David Chua there, and it was his dream to bring the Japanese gachapon culture to the U.S. And ah, nice. Yeah, yeah. and so um, for people who may not know exactly what that is, um, it's the capsule machines that are in Japan, and they're actually nice little sculptures that are very collectible. It's not just like the bouncy balls and sticky hands that you see like in the grocery stores here. And so he asked if I would like to sculpt some lines and help him make this a reality. And so we've been working towards that the last couple of years. And now we're setting up our LLC and we're in production and I should get the first prototypes uh, here in a couple of weeks. Sweet. Awesome. And this is the Capocalypse that you just mentioned like a couple yeah, of Yeah, Capocalypse. Capocalypse. <laughs> a little, little bit of a tongue, tongue teaser. Yeah. yeah, it's a little hard for a mumbler like me. But um, So you mentioned that you designed several lines. How many lines did you actually design for this? 
Um, I have designed about eight lines. Um, We are going to, we are going to release three of them. Um, We are hoping that that will be at DesignerCon this year in Pasadena this November. Um, We are on track for that, but no promises. But yeah, we are going to release three lines of eight different sculptures. Man, you designed a lot of stuff. Yeah, oh. yeah. <laughs> and so if everything works out, you'll have three lines available at DesignerCon. And so how many in each line? Maybe like five or eight pieces per line? So potentially 28 pieces? Yeah, yeah, potentially. Uh, well, not not of my own lines. There's going to be three of mine, and then we're actually going to um, we're going to bring some already made lines over from Japan. Um, there's going to be some licensed characters. There's going to be some other just, you know, cutesy things. And we just kind of want to see in general how, uh, the gachapon culture does over here and see like how my lines kind of add up and how they sell in comparison to some of the already made lines. So there's going to be a little bit of a mixed bag. We're just giving it a shot. Oh, cool. Oh, that's interesting. I'm, nice. I'm trying to understand when you say lines, what, what is a, a line? Um, they're, they're a little bit more varied. Um, so like one of the lines is like animal food mashups. So I have like a squid that looks like a bomb pop and I have a panda that's a donut. So like that is going to be a line. There's eight different animal food mashups. Okay. So then you're trying, to, you're trying to collect them all. Got to catch them all. <laughs> <laughs> okay, cool. Is the thought or the plan that like they'll literally like, so one of the things that I think we lack is, like, say, Vinyl Artist Gotcha, you know, if, if we were over in Japan, we would literally go into a Gachapon store, and I'd have to go up, put in my money or whatever, spend the thing, and get one out, and I have no idea if I'm going to get one I want. So I assume you're going to bring that capsule culture, so, like, if you had them all set up, it's just going to be a bunch of machines, you got to kind of spin your luck and go for it? Exactly. Fine. Yeah, I'm really excited, and... And kind of the, the reason why we connected at DesignerCon is I have always brought my own little capsule machine. But, I, I mean, I hand sculpt all the little charms that are in it. I, I bought this old school gumball machine on eBay just because I've always been a capsule fanatic. Um, so when I realized that I could incorporate that into my business, I started making little charms. Um, and David, having the dream of bringing that culture o- culture over here, uh, saw that and also connected with my work. And uh, that's how we kind of got started. That's awesome. Look at designer con place to connect. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Can you, um, maybe, maybe some, you want to keep a surprise, but do you want to reveal any of the other, uh, sculpt themes or lines that are you working on aside from the, uh, animal food mashup one? Sure. Yeah. I can tell you what the other ones are. Um, the, another one is going to be a little line of mushrooms, which I have teased a little bit on my Instagram. So there are all these different little characters of mushrooms that have different tops, like, one of the tops looks like a strawberry and one of the tops um, looks like a pond that has a little frog sitting on a lily pad. And so each of the tops of the mushrooms is a different little theme. And the other line is called chubbies and they are very, very round little animals. Like uh, there's an octopus, which obviously has like a round head, but then there's also like an alligator who has a really fat body. I don't know if you've ever seen that YouTube video that was viral like a couple of years ago, like if African animals were, balloons or if African animals were round or whatever, I kind of get inspiration from that. So they're very, very fat little chubby animals. Oh, okay. I know that you're probably like, maybe you did the prototypes in polymer clay or what have you, but are, are these going to be, um, resin? Um, they're going to be a plastic. Uh, I can't remember exactly what plastic that's going to be, but yeah, they're going to be in plastic. I think PVC maybe. Yeah. I would think probably PVC. Which is a vinyl. You know, PVC and vinyl is, is vinyl. It's just done through a different process called injection molding. Uh, and that's usually why you have the seam down the sides. And, and they tend to be like the heavier, more solid figures. Yes. 
yeah, we're, it's going to be via injection molding. So that, that is okay. what they will be. Um, and yeah, they're going to be really small capsule size. They're the, the biggest size is the biggest dimension is going to be two and a half inches. So they're a little bit larger capsules, but yeah, they're all molded and casted and we're going to, very yeah. cool. It's kind of your first go at production pieces, really. Yeah, yeah. I'm really excited about it. Um, I mean, David's the mastermind behind all that. He um, he has all the connections for getting things actually produced. And, uh, yeah, I'm just kind of the creative. That's cool. So, yeah, so I guess. That, that's kind of a leak and sneak peek, don't you think, Teresa? Yeah, you know, we totally, we totally skipped over it. We did. So maybe we should do that segment real quick and then just consider that Macy's contribution to Leaks and Stink Peaks and then we can just run through ours real quick and then we'll just get back to talking to you, Macy. Sure. Okay, before we get doing that then, let's just go ahead and uh, take a brief break and mention some sponsors of the show. So we have printsonwood.com. So if you're an artist or a photographer and you've ever wanted to have your artwork or photography printed on beautiful, sustainable wood, then head on over to printsonwood.com for a wide variety of services. They've worked with tons of artists helping them with the limited fine art prints and they can do the same for you. And then we have a couple toy stores on the docket for you. So we got 3DRetro.com and they also have a physical store out there in Southern California. I believe it's Burbank adjacent. Here's the beautiful store, so be sure to check that out. And then there's StrangeCatToys.com. And if you happen to visit StrangeCatToys.com, be sure to use promo code MARSHAM at checkout to receive 10% off your entire order. And then, representing the blogosphere, and for all your daily designer toy news, definitely be sure to check out SpankyStokes.com and TheToyChronicle.com. And actually, The Toy Chronicle now has an app available in uh, both the Google Play Store and the App Store. So if you want to download that, just search uh, The Toy Chronicle on either one of those app stores, and you'll have all your daily designer toy news at the click of a button of an app. So that's pretty awesome. All right, so we're going to start off doing some leaks and sneak peeks here. Macy just did hers with uh, Kapopcalypse, and so we'll run through ours real quick. And so anyone who's not familiar, leaks and sneak peeks is the segment of the show where we uh, just pretty much share and discuss anything that we might have seen on social media this week or a toy blog that we just want to uh, help spread the word on. So, Teresa, why don't you go first? Sure. So, actually, I feel like this has been, like, since we talked to Gary about more what, two weeks ago than about a week ago since we did a early recording. Yeah. I feel like, I don't know, I feel like since we last talked, lots of juicy, good good stuff has caught my eye. I know, which a makes lot me of happy. stuff. I know. So, right? I mean, I feel like some weeks we're like, mm, I'm not really sure. But like this week, I was like, mm, I had like a ton to like, I want to just talk about so many things. Yeah, totally. You got almost too many things. Your list was almost too big. Yes. Narrow that list down. I know. Well, one cool thing that I saw is... Uh, Javier, um, who is uh, behind uh, the company called Stick Up Monsters, he actually just did a new character design called Watari Kappa. Kappa? Kappa? Kappa. And, uh, yeah, I love those. And they are, oh, so adorable. So, um, you know, like a typical Kappa character is kind of like a little uh, turtle character. But um, it's like he took a spin and did like some really cute color variations. It's got like a little flower hat, um, like petal hat on its head. And it's really pretty bright colors, like pink and green and blue. And there's a pink and purple version. And instead of it just having a shell, he actually made the shell like a, a backpack it's wearing. Um, and so it's just really, really cute. And so um, it's a new design um, by him. And um, it's going to be available at uh, this toy show. It's uh, Plays Toys Forever, I think it's putting on, but it's supposed to be released online as well after the show. 
And so um, I'm so excited. I, I, I don't know a lot of details about how big it is um, or cost or anything like that. But um, if you go to uh, Javier's Instagram, it's got like a cute little backstory about the character, about how it's a young Kappa girl who lived in a little pond and all this kind of stuff. So it's got a cute little story if you're into that, too. Yeah. No, I like that piece a lot. So, it's, yeah. It's, it's really hard one. not to say cute when describing that one, too. It's so cute. You should go check it out, Macy. It's adorable. I will. Uh, that sounds really cute. I love turtles, too. <laughs> if anyone's it's cute. actually it's, it's... playing the, the cute drinking game on this episode, I'm sorry. <laughs> you are going to have a hangover tomorrow. <laughs> but it's, I like that it's kind of more simplistic sculpt, um, you know, some, some details here and there, but, you know, more on the cleaner side, not like a ton of texture. And it's perfect. It's cute. So that was one. Can I do another, Gary? Yeah, sure. Okay. So the second one, Peter Cato is pretty well known for his bedtime bunnies. Yep. So he's done, you know, a bunch of resins and Savannah runs with clutter and all of that. So um, I, I kind of haven't seen, you know, many bedtime bunnies from him recently. And so I was excited because actually through uh, someone else's account, it's the artist. And I, I'm sorry if I pronounced it wrong. It's a Japanese artist. It's Emi Takano, E-I-M-I. And so she is this Japanese artist, and you may know her from doing um, various uh, shows like Clutter at Clutter and such, where she does these um, kind of character creations. A lot of what she does is these donut head shaped animals. So like a duck with a donut head or a bear with a donut head. And she uses like a variety of materials like resin bases or she'll even use like foam, like almost like sponge um, to create her characters. But anyway... She and Peter are doing this collaboration where it's going to be a donut head bedtime bunny. And it is oh, cover your ears. Adorable. Cute. So cute. <laughs> it's so, so cute. And it's got, so like it's got the donut head bunny with a cute little face. And then on the, the slippers are little donuts on the slippers. So it's like donut, donut. Yeah. Anyway, it's super cute. And it's in a prototype, like the, she just released kind of a teaser of the prototype. So it's not coming right away, but it got me all giddy, as you can tell. And I'm excited and I want it and it needs to come. You need to inject just a little more enthusiasm into your pieces. <laughs> so there's no release date or price point? No, I actually, uh, I've messaged Peter because I was like, Peter. I want information. I want this thing. When can I get this thing? And so he's kind of, you know, similar, I think, to, to Macy, where they're trying to get it done and hopefully have it soon, but they don't really know for sure um, when right. they'll have it done. But I do know that it's, it's going to be resin and plan to do uh, various colorways and color versions and stuff. So everyone's just a bunch of teases. I know. Everyone's just teasing me. Although the one from Javier is more, it, it's, it's soon. Like, I feel like I could buy it soon. Everything else is more right. just teasing me. Okay. <laughs> I'll, I'll just do those okay. two. I could keep going, I feel like, Gary, forever and always. <laughs> oh, I'm sure you could. <laughs> <laughs> so I'll pass you. What you don't know, Macy, is that on a daily basis, uh, Teresa will send me like direct messages from Instagram. I think she's seen. It'll be like, this is super cute. Oh, my God. This is super cute. Oh, this is adorable. <laughs> and just so many things on a daily basis. And so she would love to come on here and just talk about like 10 pieces every week. 20? But I, I <laughs> yeah. have to have it narrow it down. We should literally try to do, like if we ever have like a crap ton of leaks, Gary, and we don't have like a plan for the week, we should just literally do a leak and sneak episode. Yeah. What I'd actually like to do is a... Uh, 
like a happy hour episode where we all drink and maybe throughout the week we save up. We don't look at social media or at least toy vlogs that week. And then Crazier than while I we're like am. getting a little buzz, we start searching the uh, the toy blogs and just whatever happens happens. <laughs> there's a so there's a scary. show called Drunk History and maybe we can get a little drunk toy. You realize that like neither of us drink. I know, but I, I I'll let myself drink. I just oh I, I know. Just don't I'm do not it. saying I won't. Like I'll <laughs> I don't social, but. I'm not saying I'm not I like I'm I don't drink at all. I'm saying yeah. I don't I rarely drink. So literally I have a beer and I would be well, I'm, I'm the same <laughs> way. I, I have one even better. It'll make I it get, even better. Yeah. I get one strawberry in me and I'm uh I'm whirly. <laughs> so. We know we need to still try uh the what is it, Zima that came back? That- Zima? I've tried it. I was I was, you know, in my twenties when that thing came out. So I've tried it, but if you want to give it a shot, you got a limited time. You gotta get to the grocery store and try it. Did you ever find it? Because I've been trying to keep my eye out to see if because we, we were talking about it and I didn't know what Zima was, Macy, because Gary's old and I'm not, and I don't know what he was talking about. <laughs> a little jab. But um so I was like, you know, I know about like Mike's hard lemonade and all that kind of stuff. I was like, I don't know what Hexima is. And so we were Googling it and it's like this old school kind of gir- girly drink almost. And apparently they're bringing it back. But I still, every now and again, I try to check the alcohol beer aisle at the local Kroger and I haven't seen them yet. No so luck, huh? We'll see. If I can find it, I'll bring it to the happy hour party. It'll be fun. Okay. <laughs> all right. So let's bring it back to toys. Okay. Gary. So it's my turn. Give us your leaks. Okay, so I have a couple. And uh, so you already mentioned a couple super cute ones. And so actually I have one that the Fluffy House out there in Hong Kong. They're, they are, they're pretty popular with their you know line of character work and all that sort of stuff. And so they've teamed up with actually Course. And they're doing some designs for the Course Omen, which is a very popular owl platform uh, that they do. And so the platform is like, what, four or five inches tall? And they're going to do, it looks like, two designs in two different colorways. And what's interesting about it is they're not, like, heavy character-based like most people do when they get an opportunity to work on a platform. These ones are almost, like, skinning, like, almost like a wallpaper treatment on the platform. And it's like, uh, you know, one is just it's pretty much a solid blue with just a bunch of clouds on it. And the other one is, like, a grayish color with, like, rain drips and little clouds with happy faces and stuff like that. So... Um, that's an interesting take, and I actually kind of like it. It kind of makes it more arty, and it's it's kind of a nice break away from the uh, the typical just character design style toy. I have not seen what a price point is yet, but I do know that the blue one with the clouds, that's going to be released at the Beijing Toy Show. Uh, there's a run of 500 on that one, so 450 of those are going to be available first at the Beijing Toy Show, and the remaining 50, or probably any of the remainders from the show, will be made available online. And as far as the gray one with the rain trips, I'm not sure. I haven't heard any information on that one. I'm hoping it's going to be the retail version where it's going to be a little more readily available and more easily obtained, but uh, I'm not sure yet. So I would say just follow Fluffy House or Course on Instagram and stay up to date there. So Gary, I'm a little excited that I thought what I read was that both were releasing at that show and then there was only going to be 50 pieces of each outside of the show. So it's exciting to me to hear that the gray one might be a separate kind of different release. Well, don't quote me on that. That's actually my favorite one, too. And it's grown on me. When I first saw it, I wasn't sure how I felt about the decal approach. It just was different to me. And I wasn't sure how I felt about it. But I like how on the gray one, it still has kind of a, the traditional Mr. Cloud fluffy house face yeah. on the owl. 
and then the decals around it. So I like that. I will tell you the blue one, my OCD, it, it bothers me that the main cloud is not centered. It's like slightly off to the left. And I'm like, no, it needs to be over in the middle. What are you doing? <laughs> no, that's, that's, that's the rule of thirds right there. Oh, but it's like, no, center it. So I, I think they're cool. I mean, I'm super excited because as I've, as I've talked on previous episodes, I love Fluffy House. I think it's fun that they've done a collaboration and hopefully there'll be a way for us to get them versus all of us trying to scrabble for only 50 online. Sounds a little bit stressful, but... I've been Googling everything that you guys have been talking about and, and following along. And yeah, you know, I have to agree. I want that cloud to be centered. Isn't it? Oh, like, okay. It's like, yeah. mm, because it's almost centered, Gary. It's like they're playing yeah. with us. It's, it's, really? it's, it's too, it's too close to center. Like it has to be super off center. It has to be dead center. Like it, the, the, it's a tension point right now. See, Gary? Yeah, I mean, I guess I would like some over. If they're going to do it that way, I would like to see some overlap over to the side. Like it's, you can see how it's kind of having a tangent with the side yeah. of the uh, of the circular yeah, face. I that kind of bugs me. But I don't think I would like it perfectly centered either. But um, yeah, but you see the one, you know, the one cloud. It's it's just on the face, but it doesn't carry over into the ruffle of the side of the face. Um, so I guess in that regard, I would like to see that carry over. A little bit more, but overall, I, I really like this approach that Fluffy House went with versus you know translating it more in a character. It's cute. It's really really cute. I hadn't seen these yet, so yeah, they're adorable. I'm really trying not to get hooked, Gary, because I just mm, I just have this feeling that I'm gonna I'm gonna just get all in and be like, yeah, I want these, and then I'm not gonna be able to get them. I just I just feel it. I feel it in my gut. I'm just gonna be disappointed. <laughs> oh, it's. it's I hope I mean, it's probably going to happen. I, the omens are highly popular. They're really hard to obtain. But, but that's what's great about Well, that's what the designer toy scene needs is uh, supply and demand. More demand than supply. That's what creates the hype. That's what, you know, that's what collectors want. They want to feel like they got something that no one else did. And that's what drives the designer toy scene. We need more of that. We need more, need more demand and less supply. And unfortunately, there's a lot of stuff just sitting <sighs> around on shelves. It's not the same, shelves. Gary. It's not the same. No, I know. But everyone, you know... I, I know that everyone wants what they want, but at the same time, like the designer toy scene needs that uh, that supply and demand again. When stuff is just not selling out, that just hasn't been good for the toy scene. And one of the things that I noticed is that as I get older, my drive to possess is diminishing. Like I don't, I'm perfectly okay if I don't get anything anymore. Like I I want it, but if I can't obtain it, it doesn't frustrate me or bother me as much as it as it used to. Like I'm like okay, it's you know, it was fun trying, but I didn't get it. Uh, I, maybe that's just coming with my old age, but what you don't know, Macy, is it drives, uh, Teresa nuts when she can't obtain something. There was something that she missed. She missed out on a boy in a shark outfit by Sun Guts and Sun Guts was actually at Five Points Fest in New York. And for some reason, Teresa just... You weren't, you weren't thinking, were you, Teresa? You knew they were there, but you just kind of walked right by their table, didn't see it, and then she saw the photos on social media afterwards, and it's eaten her up since, like, the last oh. three, three months. And you just so. got to keep bringing up my pain, don't you? I do. I like the torture. Oh, it's torture, Macy. I just <laughs> want it so bad. It's just the... Mm, it just makes me so sad. <sighs> But. I know. So, okay. so I do have one more Lincoln Snake pick, and I apologize. It's, it's going to be another cute one. And I know the listeners, we, we need to be a little more well-rounded in our Lincoln Snake peaks. I don't want to be like the cute Lincoln Snake peak hour. 
But, uh, I mean, this is another cute one, and it's from Kid Robot, and they're going to be doing a licensed Care Bears series. It looks like it's going to be three different artists, Tara McPherson, Linda Panda, and Julie West. And it looks like there's going to be 6.5-inch vinyl figures done by each artist. And what I like about it is it's artistic interpretation using the American Greeting license of the Care Bears. So when you look at the Care Bears, there's no doubt which artist did each one. And yeah. that's what I really like about it. And that's what I think most of the licensing should be like. It's awesome seeing the more generic licensing stuff too. But I think for the designer toy scene, it's it's nice to see that artist interpretation in there. Um one of the cool things about this also is that each designer got to do their own like sculpt as well. So it's not just using a platform and each artist is essentially, you know, reskinning it with their design. Like each artist actually got to redesign it. And so they're all getting their own individual sculpts. I think that's really cool. And um, I think one of the coolest things about seeing this announcement is that Julie West is making a comeback. So anyone who's not familiar with Julie, well, she was a pretty prominent toy designer, you know, uh, but last probably five years we haven't seen – Really, I don't think anything from her. Uh, she's been pretty quiet, but it looks like she's back in the fold with Kid Robot. She's done a lot of Dunny's designs with Kid Robot in the past. She's worked with Strange Co. So hopefully she's back, and we'll hopefully see more designs from her. And then Tara McPherson, you know, as you know, she's already doing the really cool Wonder Woman with Kid Robot. And her Care Bear looks awesome. It's got a hole in the chest with a black and white rainbow going through the hole in the chest and it kind of loops around the backside. That's awesome. And then there's Linda Pandas. And I believe this is... Linda Panda's first actual production toy, although she was the designer of the collaboration Blind Box series with Kid Robot and Crayola. I believe it was called the Coloring Critters. I believe uh, Linda was actually the designer on that entire series. I just don't think she got the credit for it, so I think this is her first credited uh, vinyl toy release. Yeah, I mean, I, I know this is like her first kind of standalone thing, I believe. Um, that wasn't like a series or anything like that. But I agree. I think it's I think it's really cool that it wasn't like, oh, here's a Care Bear shape. Um, you know, we're just gonna apply, a, you know, use the shape for everyone, and you just apply sort of a, a skin or a, um, you know what I mean, a design to that. It's more of, hey, have free reign. Here's your theme, but kind of do with it what you will. And so. I think it's nice that it basically gives them all a design that's very uniquely theirs. So I like them. They're, they're cute. And I haven't decided, you know, Care Bears is not something, I guess, for me as my, you know, in my childhood that, uh, I, you know, I have kind of like a nostalgic feeling for. But um, I think they're great. Um, and I think though it's nice to see some some larger pieces, too. We talked a lot about how I go small. So it could be nice yeah. to pick one up and have a, a larger piece in my collection. But I don't know if I like the 6.5 inches for for them all. Like I feel like when I look at Linda Panda's design, I, for some reason, even there's nothing showing the scale of it. There's no like – they don't have like a 3-inch dunny next to it just showing that it's a scale. But when I first saw the, the design, it just looks like a minifigure to me. It does. Um, and I'm not sure why. Uh, and that's the one that I'm dying over. Like I said, I'm Googling these as you're telling me about them. And yeah. the Linda Panda one is just adorable with the pink of the purple and the hearts and the expression and everything. It's just right up my alley. Yeah. But yeah, I, w- I would see it as like between like three, three and a half inches. Yeah. And I think that's because it's just so uber cute, right? Like you just assume like the uber cute stuff should be smaller. And it's, it mm-hmm. gets a lot more cuter as it gets smaller. When I look at something like the, the Tender Heart by Terry McPherson, it... It's uh, it feels more large scale to me. Like that one being six point five inches, it just that feels like a good size for that one. Mm-hmm. I got you. No, I see what you mean because I agree. I think there are there are times where figures are made and 
it it loses some of the cute factor by being made too big. And sometimes things work better in small scale. It just it's it's kind of like when we were talking about like the James Groman fossil pod series back in the day, like back when we were talking about five points. Yeah. Now we were weirdly attracted to them, in, but mostly probably because of their size, because yeah. they were much smaller. And had those been made, you know, at this larger size, we probably wouldn't have been, um, you know, attracted to it as much. So I agree. I can see. I think it w- it would be kind of cool if they had, I don't know, created these in various scales. But and they might have, like you said, you know, you know, kid robots doing carryover series from their three inch dunny series and then they do a branch off uh in a five inch dunny now and maybe that's what they're going to do with the you know the series maybe they're going to be reincarnated as a you know maybe a, a smaller size a keychain or a three inch or a charm or something down the line but right now they're all going to be about 6.5 inches uh they're properly licensed from american greetings and no release date as of yet but the price point is going to be 65 dollars it sounds high Considering that eight-inch dunnies lately have been around that, right? Yeah, but but keep in mind, this is a license, so they're going to have to pay a little bit for the license, and they're all original sculpts, so that's all original molds and new sculpt fees and all that sort of stuff. Oh, so. uh, okay. That's but, true, that's true. But again, I mean, it is Care Bears and it's licensed, so I imagine it's going to be a pretty large run size, so... The larger the run size, the lower the price should be. So if this is, you know, a run of over $500, and I would say these are probably pretty, you know, maybe on the higher side. Yeah, I got you. But, no, that's a good point because I'm thinking about, like, the simple dunny shape kind of getting skinned versus, you know, like the J.R.U., you know, clairvoyant ones and all of that. I know yeah. we're higher price points, so that makes sense. Yeah, I think it's a really good price for the Tarek McPherson one, given the rainbow and going through the heart. But when I look at uh, the Linda Panda and the Julie West one, I just, I don't see $65 when I look at those ones. And um, so I don't know. I feel like on those two, maybe a little cheaper. Uh, but again, you know, licensing and new sculpts, and we don't know the run size yet. So it's, it's really hard to say at this point. I was just say I'm I'm super happy for all the artists because yeah. you know we're seeing some artists we haven't seen around for a while come back we're seeing people get represented who haven't really so mm-hmm. I think it's great. Yeah, no, I think you know, Kid Robots done a great job with this you know this Care Bear artistic series and they pick you know three great artists to represent the series and you know well done. And um, so Macy, do you follow? Do you collect designer toys yourself at all? Um, you know, I haven't actually started doing a whole lot of collecting myself because, uh, like I said, when I kind of was first aware of the entire scene, um, was right when I was quitting my day job <laughs> in order to sculpt full time. So I've, yeah. I've taken a serious pay cut. So I've, I've really done most of my, my, uh, collecting just in my, in my brain stuffs. <laughs> I, I, no, I get that. <laughs> <laughs> I've bought, I've definitely bought some blanks, um, and some of them that I, fully intended on sculpting on top of, but kind of like I bought your Logan. I, I love it too much. I don't want to sculpt on top of it. It's too good. So I have, <laughs> I have more blanks than anything else. Um, and that's partially, I think, because, uh, you know, I don't have that, all that green to buy all the really cool toys with just right. yet, but, um, I'd like to collect, I'd like to collect some of those things for sure. No, I would love to see you start doing more custom shows and stuff like that. I'd love to see what you would sculpt over, um, you know, maybe someone else's established platform. I think that'd be really interesting. I think it'd be a great way to get you more involved with uh, the toy scene too. Absolutely. And I've done, I think I've done three of them now. Um, I've done three over um, a couple of the kid robot blanks, but 
uh, yeah, it's really, it's really been more of, uh, sculpting my own little figurine sort of thing because those are what sells and that's, uh, that's what I have to focus on now in order to pay my rent. <laughs> yeah. Now, do you have any like fun, like passion projects on the side? So, you know, you got your, um, what you're doing and what sells in your Etsy store and all that, and that keeps you busy full time. But do you ever have just a, that's something that's like mainly, uh, you're trying a you know, new medium or. Like you said, you want to get into painting. Do you have any? Have you started anything on the side? Um, I haven't started anything uh, kind of in that traditional sense of the word because most of my time right now on the side has been taking up been taken up by um, making an art car. Um, so I'm taking one of my sculptures that I made for a show at Leanna's Wonderland, maybe the one that you were talking about, Teresa. I made a sculpture called Wayward Beasties, and it was a mouse riding on the back of a turtle. Oh yeah. And um, uh, we are t- my my boyfriend and I are turning that sculpture into a vehicle for Burning Man, and so we are actually making a very large scale version of that sculpture um, that we are hauling to Burning Man, literally seven hours from now. <laughs> oh, so we're, we're cutting into your project. No, no, it's all right. It's all good. <laughs> They're awesome. out there. Uh, we have a team of probably about six people out there putting the the finishing touches on it uh, in my front yard as we speak. Holy smokes! So Macy, this is like a functional, drivable car. This is a functional, drivable car, and actually, a lot of people build art cars over the chassis of an existing vehicle, but we have chosen to actually make our own car from the ground up. So we're using what's called brushless hub motors, which are the same motors that you see in those, they call them hoverboards, you know, that people are riding around on, or segways. Mm -hmm. We're using those, um, so the motors are actually in the wheels, and we made our own chassis that we are building this giant holographic color-changing turtle on top of. Sounds cool. uh, It uses a 2V geodesic dome, um, which is the same dome that you see on a playground that kids can climb on so that is the basis of the shell holy what? moly that's huge <laughs> so like you yeah, can like giant. sleep in it yeah you, you can fit about 10 people inside it and two people on top of it what that's huge it's awesome i didn't realize it was that big and you yeah. you were able to support it because of a kickstarter right yeah yeah we made a kickstarter and um through you know the blessings of our community and uh, people who just saw and believed in our vision, we've been able to make this a reality. And it's really, really exciting that it's all coming to fruition right, literally right now. <laughs> so what, like, okay, you said holographic. So like, I'm picturing like shimmering iridescent type pieces. Like what are those made out of? Um, well, the shell, um, the shell is of course made out of a bunch of triangles that go in that geodesic dome and the triangles are made out of acrylic. And on top of that acrylic, we put what's called a dichroic film and it's a film that's actually rated for windows. So it's like for the exterior of buildings so they can be weathered and can withstand the rain and some of the elements. And yeah, it's color changing and shiny and reflective. Like you walk to one side of it and it looks pink and you kind of lower your head to the bottom and it changes to green. And then you Ooh. look above it and it's yellow. And in different lights, it looks different. And with if there's a light shining behind it, you can see through it. But if there's a light shining on the front of it, it fluoresces like a crystal would. So it is really, really trippy. <laughs> it's amazing. It sounds awesome. Now, are you going to be driving this yourself at Burning Man? Um, yeah, me, me and my boyfriend can both drive it. Um, and it's actually a remote controlled car, so we don't have to actually be inside it at all. So we made a giant RC vehicle. What? Toy Story come to life. Yeah, it's a dream come true. (laughs) I mean, and I've always worked so small that, um, making something into a literal vehicle has just been mind blowing for me. 
Now, are you going to be sleeping under the shell while you're there? No, 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 we have we have a shift pod, which is a really, really fancy tent. So, no, we're not actually going to be sleeping in it because Burning Man is super dusty. And so we're going to be giving people rides. They're going to be coming in and out of the shell, which would not be the cleanest place to sleep. That's going up pretty fast when you head out. Uh, at three o'clock in the morning and it's 8 p.m. now. <laughs> Holy <laughs> uh, thanks, for jo- thanks for joining us. I can't believe you yeah. squeezed us in and in between this chaos. <laughs> no, it's all right. You know, it's actually a little welcome break. We've been working on the street for, I mean, I mean, la- the last three weeks from the time we get up in the morning to the time we go to bed. So, and, you know, for the last year, uh, a little bit more relaxed than that, but still pretty intensive. So this is actually kind of a nice little break in the midst of all the chaos. That's awesome, though. <laughs> yeah, it's going to be pretty nuts. I, I'm giddy. <laughs> I, well, yeah, shoot, man. Are you going to sleep at all or just stay awake? <laughs> Um, I'm, I think I'm going to try to catch a few hours. Sam, my partner is going to, he's going to drive the first shift and then I'll probably wake up and drive the second shift and we're going to spend the night in Reno. Uh, and then, uh, or no, sorry, spend the night in Fallon and then go into the gates early Saturday morning. Wow. So, so where, so Burning Man, I, I, I kind of know of it, but I don't know a lot of it. So it is literally like a party in the middle of the desert near, where is it near? Um, it's two hours outside of Reno, so that's probably like the closest city that people could really recognize. Um, it's uh, it's kind of a party. Hold on, yeah. hold on, Teresa. What state do you think Reno's in? Nevada. Oh. Yay! Well done. <laughs> Boom! You thought I wasn't gonna know. I, I wasn't sure. You're, you're, you know, you're in the you're in the Midwest. I didn't think. Well, not the Midwest. Are you Midwest? No. Uh, technically, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> It's yeah. it's very stupid because Midwest to me, when I hear Midwest, literally to me should be like Colorado because it's out in the West and it's kind of in the middle. I think right. Midwest <laughs> out East just is stupid. But yes, technically, can, I'm technically, I guess you could say Midwest, but really I'm literally on the Eastern side of the U.S. Right. <laughs> but yeah, so it's in Reno. And so it's like what – talk explain what Burning Man is. I always picture like <laughs> – crazy people like dancing around in the desert. <laughs> well, that's, that's a big part of it for sure. So, um, a lot of people that go hesitate to call it like a festival or a party, really it's an experimental city. Um, so it's, it's actually, I don't remember. It's like the second or third largest city in Nevada when it happens and it happens for a week and it's about 70,000 people that come. And it's a lot of artists who bring really, really large scale art um, from all over the world. I mean, there's people who bring giant towers from Italy. There's people uh, who bring art cards from all over. There's people who, Andrew Jones, I don't know if you know Andrew Jones or Alex Gray or like any sort of that like psychedelic kind of art. They bring giant like virtual reality domes. And um, it's a big city um, based on the principle of gifting. So nothing, you can't buy anything at all. There's no vendor village. You can't buy food. You have to bring everything that you need to survive. And um, you bring experiences for other people. So it's kind of uh, it's an experiment in humanity more than anything else in art and humanity. Interesting. I didn't realize it was more artistic. I just didn't know a lot about it. I figured maybe it was called Burning Man because it's in the desert and it's hot. But <laughs> beyond that, I just I didn't realize that sounds really cool, though, like the idea of different people coming together. So like. I, I mean, it definitely isn't like organized in a way where there's, you know, food trucks and all of that kind of stuff. So you just have to, so like you all, you and your boyfriend are like taking meals for a week with you. Yeah. Over the last two days, I've, I made 90 meals for me and him and his mom is coming with us this year. 
Wow. So do you like take like um like you know camping s type things so that you can like you know cook and whatnot while you're there? Or? Yeah, oh. yeah. We bring we bring tents. We bring stoves. We bring generators. I mean, we even bring an air conditioner for our shift pod. So we're we're doing it in luxury. There's some people who bring RVs, but you have to bring every single thing uh, that you need to survive. Um, you have to pack everything out too. It's a leave no trace event, and it's literally leave no trace. You have to pick up every bit of glitter or piece of hair that you drop. The only reason we're able to keep having it there is because we leave no trace. Um, and part of the the point of the vehicle that we are making, it's not just this giant shiny turtle that we're making. You can actually feed him what's called moop. And moop uh, stands for matter out of place, which also means trash. And so things that you find um, as you're walking around in on the playa, which is where they call where we hold Burning Man, um, you can feed him moop. And so he also helps clean up the desert. Awesome. Moop. Moop. So <laughs> turtle. Simon the moop-eating turtle. <laughs> Are you familiar with Sawdust Bear at all? Yeah. Okay, I think she's going out there. I think she had a, also a Kickstarter car that she was designing for um, Burning Man. I didn't know about the one for this year, but I know that last year she brought uh, the, oh, okay. la- la- the Lost Apothecary. That's it. Yeah, that's what I'm thinking of. So it was last year. Man, yeah. time, is, time is going way too fast. Because <laughs> I know yeah. it was something that we mentioned on the podcast, and it doesn't feel like we've been doing the podcast that long, but you're right. It was last year's. Yeah, 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 yeah. I actually didn't make it out there to see it, which I am so bummed because last year was my first year at Burning Man, and I absolutely love Sawdust there. She's one of my favorites. And so I was like, ah, oh, if I do anything, I have to make it out to see that. But it was in way deep playa, and it just never happened. I mean, Burning Man is huge, so it's really hard to plan anything. But, yeah, that was evidently really, really cool. I heard about it from a lot of different people. Awesome. Well, it sounds like you're going to have a very fun weekend. Yeah, and it's going to be great. <laughs> I'm going to stay inside and be nice and cool. <laughs> lots of pictures you can live vicariously dude Teresa it's going to be 110 here this weekend it's almost September and oh, it's still 110 okay. here in Arizona and see we've been blessed with this This so this is what Louisville does we get these random random weather spurts and it has been oddly cool so it's been getting down to almost 50 at night here oh, that's Whoa. So, nice. like, so like near the end of the day it's like low 70s mm-hmm. the sun setting cool breeze that's why i've been like walking my dog like, oh this whole week i'm like oh my god it's like perfect dog walking weather oh my god i just want to go out there and just be outside so it's been like um you know unseasonably cool around here which has been fantastic it feels like fall which is yeah, great sounds like sounds heaven. nice yeah Ooh, I, it's great. I was just in well, seattle and the weather out there was amazing and then i come back to this furnace and every time i come back from like either san diego or seattle and i come back to this hot air dryer that's phoenix arizona i i don't know why i live here i really don't it's <laughs> hot really as hell that. here i don't know how you do it well our winters are amazing while you're freezing your ass off that's my time to go out and play okay. yeah, it's gorgeous we, we, it's we gorgeous have, yeah we have different seasons and during the summer i just spend all my days at the wet and wild park we just yeah. stay indoors we just have different seasons that's all when when you guys when you guys don't go outside during the winter, we just don't go outside during the summer. It's just, you exactly know. Ah. exactly. I don't I don't want to keep you, uh, Maisie. It sounds like you have a ton of stuff going on there. You got a whole crew. Uh, you're neglecting your crew, so maybe we should just. Uh, what do you think? Do, do you want to wrap it up, or do you have more questions, Teresa? I got one more question. Yeah, sure, sure. You're building this giant turtle car. You do Burning Man, and then what? Does this become like the car you drive around town? <laughs> I wish. 
Uh, it unfortunately will not be street legal, but uh, we actually already have a couple different events lined up for it afterwards. So we will be taking it to other things um, here in Phoenix and hopefully in Venice Beach um, and yeah, kind of all over. Um, how I kind of got into this art car and Burning Man thing is I'm part of what's called the Walter Tribe. Um, who goes to Burning Man every year, and we bring a whole whole, whole bunch of really giant art cars. And um, you can do other things with them year-round. Like, we throw a stage at EDC, we throw a stage at Bonnaroo. We do other festivals besides just Burning Man. So it kind of becomes um, a year-round sort of lifestyle um, rather than just something for Burning Man. So we will be seen all over after that. Awesome. Okay. You should totally bring it to Designer Con so I can sit in it. You know, I've been thinking about how we could make that happen. So it, it could be in the works. I don't know if that will happen this year, but perhaps next year we could park it somewhere outside. It's totally that- awesome. Well, like Kyle um, Kerwin will bring like his RV around to different events and he will sit outside. Like he vented outside in his RV outside Five Points. So you could totally yeah. bring your car. You know, I was even thinking maybe I could buy two booth spaces and roll it into the convention center because it's all yeah. electric. I mean, there's no there's no gas that you need or anything, and it can actually even be just like towed in there if we can't. You could totally don't need to drive it. Do you all do have those things at the mall where people can uh, kids can rent like little cars to drive around the mall? Oh yeah, do you totally let people like rent your turtle car and take people <laughs> on rides. That would be awesome. <laughs> that would be super cool. <laughs> We've been driving it around the neighborhood, and uh, our neighbors are coming out and asking for rides. So that's been pretty fun. Nice. Well, I think while you're away at Burning Man, I think all, all of our listeners should go to your web store and buy a little something. That way, when you get back, you're just going to be super slammed and shipping for days. I'm ready. Are, I'm ready. Are, I'm bringing it on. Yeah, definitely. I, you know, I totally see. I've got um, a bunch of, I've got some extra Hey KVs. I don't know if you've heard of Hey KV. It's like a cute little pudgy basic sculpt. But I totally kind of want to commission you to, to polymer clay that baby up. I think that could be fun. Oh my god, I would love that. Our, Gary, you know I want one from you too, but I don't know if you do. <laughs> you heard from Cat what I'm like on those customs, so you I'm may gonna, never you I, may never get it. <laughs> I'm gonna send you one, and on it I'm gonna put a post-it note with a due date. I'll put it right next to Cat's. <laughs> <laughs> Sit there and collect dust, and two years later I'll be poking you for it. I'm not giving you yeah. one of my. Precious KVs. Yeah, maybe a week, you know, the week off or maybe Christmas break. I'll, I can find some time for something like that. But yeah. You can find time for me, Gary. You can find time for me. Ah, uh, okay. Well, Macy, <laughs> thanks for uh, thanks so much for taking the time in this very chaotic night you got going on. And I hope you have a lot of fun at Burning Man. And uh, I wish you the be- all the best of luck with your... Uh, Kapop Calypse. Yeah, definitely. I'm look, definitely looking forward to Kapop Calypse, and hopefully it will be at Decon, and we can turn the quarters in the machine and get some uh, of, of your capsule toys. And definitely looking forward to those. And and it, well, so why don't you take a brief moment and just let all of our listeners know where they can find you. Um, you can find me on Facebook and Instagram at Simon Says Macy. Um, and my email is simonsaysmacy.com. And I'm friendly and I don't bite, so drop me a message. Well, that was short and sweet. <laughs> Macy, uh, son, it's Macy. Go find her. And it's awesome and cute. And don't want it all. Aw, shucks. <laughs> well, thanks for having me on. This is a lot of fun. Yeah, definitely. Thanks for joining. Uh, Teresa. All right. So, me, Teresa Hawkins. If you want to find me, just check me out on Instagram, tmhawk24. And I am Gary Ham. You can find me at Gary Ham on Instagram or superham.com. This has been the Marsham Toy Hour. We do this every week, not because we have to, but because we want to. 
<laughs> so until our next transmission, we're signing off. Bye. Bye. Bye.